Hello and welcome to episode one of Inquisitive on Relay FM. Inquisitive is a show for the naturally curious. My name is Mike Hurley, and today I have the absolute pleasure of being joined by Mr. Marco Arment. Hi, Marco. Hey, Mike. How you doing? I'm doing great. It is seven in the morning. I'm always up at seven in the morning, and uh, this is great. <laughs> Before we get into it, I must say this show is brought to you by Igloo, Squarespace, and the Omni Group, and I'll talk about those guys a little bit later on in the show. But Marco, I'm going to kick it off with the question that I can't retire. What do you like to be known for? That's a really good question. I I, I always like when you ask this question. And in in one of your last command spaces, you you got to talking about the question itself. Mm -hmm. And I was walking my dog and I was thinking, if he ever asks me that question again, what, what will I say? And so I've had time to prepare an answer, which is probably not what you want. No, no, I, I like that. I like that. Good. The problem is that what we do in like the software and geek world changes so often that anything I say now will be irrelevant in you know five, ten years at most, probably. Um, you know, I can tell you where I work. I could tell you what I work on, but that's not really what I like to be known for because that's. Being known for something kind of implies like a, a longer time span. Like, like what is your body of work? What is what is your like you know your life uh, achievement? I guess. And and I don't really have just one thing that I want to be known for. So, what I would like to be known for is my principles. And I don't mean that to sound arrogant or anything or crazy or in the sky. I want I want to be known for the way I do things, not the specific things I do. Does that make sense? It does. I like that answer. It might be the most thoughtful answer I've ever had. And and the interesting thing you said, and this is something that I've, I've noticed over time, you said that it, it might change in five or ten years. In all honesty, in our world, it changes every, like every six months for people. Oh, um, yeah. Like, I, I think this is maybe the fourth time that, that we've had a discussion like this, you know, where, where you've been on uh, an interview show that I do. And every time it's been different because every time I've had you on, your priorities are different. Like I think the first time it was Instapaper, then the magazine, and then when you kind of got rid of it all. And now we're overcast. So you're in those periods of time, probably no more than six months in between each of those, your life has been significantly different in the things that you're focusing on. But you're right, the, the principles part, hopefully they shouldn't change radically over that period of time. Yeah, I mean, and that's, you know, I, I value that a lot. I value my my principles, my dignity, and my reputation above anything, really. Um, you know, I, I, I always want to be trusted, and I don't want to ever do anything to ruin that. Uh, and that's that's very important to me. And, and you know, you look at, like, I, I've always valued a healthy separation of your job and you. Because a lot of people don't really properly separate those things. And then when their job changes by their will or not, um, their like their identity is wrecked and they don't know what to do, and it's sad, really. And like that's why like my my Twitter username does not contain Overcast in it because yeah. I'm not Overcast. Overcast is a thing I'm working on right now, but I am Marco. Like there, and you know I see like people who who have like their company email address and they give that out to people, and there are certain people who the only contact I have with them is a company email address. And then what's going to happen when that company lays them off unexpectedly? Or what's going to happen when they move on and go to, not not die, but when they go to a different company? Uh, and, you know, these, you know, your, your company identity 
is something that should only be useful to you within your company. Like <laughs> your company email address should be what you use to talk to people within your company while you're at work. Uh, everything else about you should be kept a healthy distance from work because work is not you. You are a person and you deserve your own identity. So a little later on, I want to, some of the stuff that I want to ask you about is how you make design choices and, and development choices about Overcast. And I think it would be interesting to just keep those thoughts in mind, like for, for I am going to, and I think for listeners too, because I think there's a there's a definite link there between the way that you design, like you make your decisions very specifically and you have the things that you believe in and the things that you like to keep separate and stuff like that. I think it's a really interesting way of thinking about it. So we are going to talk about Overcast today. Um, I have listened to many of the podcasts that you've been on talking about Overcast um, when you were doing your media tour. Uh, and I don't know if this will be the end of it. Maybe you'll continue to do this for months. So I hope that I've got some uh, interesting and different questions I, I think there's some areas that i'm interested in with the application that may become a, a different angle from other people but i want to start with some of the background so the idea for overcast from me from following you online and listening to your various shows etc seems to have come from quite a while ago um, and i wonder because your circumstances were different then i believe you when if i'm getting the timeline correct you still were operating instapaper and the magazine when you originally had the idea to create a podcast application or was interested in tinkering around with one and i wonder at that time what were the what were the sort of business decisions that you were thinking about the app what was the business model that you had at time at the time because it was a very different world to what we're in now that's a good question i mean I, you know, so I, I first got the idea for prototyping things like with Smart Speed and Voice Boost uh, in the fall of 2012. And at the time, I was still doing Build and Analyze, yep. I believe. Yeah, I was still doing Build and Analyze, the, the old, my old show on 5x5. Because that's where um, Marco's Secrets, the Tumblr, was it Marco's Secrets or Marco Rumors? Yeah, I think that, well, didn't that start from about the rumors about the magazine? Oh, it did, yes. Yeah, I think it did. But anyway, so I was still doing that. I I had recently launched the magazine. I, I was still running it. Uh, I was also still running Instapaper. And so I had I wanted to start playing with audio because I've always loved audio. And I and I've I've played with it here and there before, but never on this scale. And and so I wanted to start playing with it and I had these ideas and then once I demoed these ideas on actual iOS hardware and I realized how possible they were, even on hardware of twenty twelve, uh, which I I I assume I was using a 4S at the time. Um, that was, it, it was mind-blowing. I couldn't believe that I could do these audio effects in real time and have it not slaughter the battery. Uh, so I, I was very motivated to work on it, but I, but I couldn't, realistically. I, 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 was, I had just launched the magazine recently, and I was still running Instapaper. And both of those things were taking up a lot of my time. And so I, I really just didn't think I could do it. And so for a while, I just shelved it. And I, I, I said, someday, I'd like to work on this. But right now, I can't. And then over the next six months, uh, I sold everything. And it wasn't because of that. <laughs> it was because of other factors. You know, the magazine I sold because I really realized that I didn't like running a magazine. Like, I liked making a magazine app, but I did not like running a magazine. And something I probably should have foreseen, but I didn't. <laughs> and so... Uh, I got rid of that because of that, and then Instapaper um, was so overwhelming hmm. to the point where, like, it like 
I sold into the paper not because the magazine was taking up my time, because the magazine was taking almost none of my time by that point. Um, I sold into the paper because even with one person's full-time work on it, it wasn't enough. You know, right now, like, I ended up selling it to Betaworks, because um, I, I knew them, and I knew they would take care of it, and they immediately had, like, three full-time people on it. At least, I think. I think it might have been even more than that. But it, it was at least three full-time people at first. And and that was just to continue what I was attempting badly to do myself. So, you know, it's... That, I, you know, it, it just overran me, basically. And I, I, was, I was a little burnt out on it as well, you know, to be honest. Because at, at that point, it was like four years old and, you know, at least, I think, maybe five. And so, you know, I was, I was tired and I wanted to work on other things. But it was mostly because I couldn't keep up. So then... I found myself having nothing to do. And and the, the process of selling to web services, um, that actually is not like a, a switch you just flip and it's done. It took months tr- to to transfer these things, to deal with the paperwork of, of the sales and everything. So I was basically having months of paperwork and BS that I was trying to escape with anything that was more satisfying intellectually to me, because mm-hmm. those things are not. And... Uh, so in 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 last spring when I was going through all this stuff spring of 13 I in the evenings was like a raving madman with coding and I was prototyping the rest of the audio engine and the beginnings of the app and the beginnings of all the low level stuff that you need besides just you know just the core audio calls all the other low level stuff you need to make a decent audio player app and it was that was kind of how I got through all of the boringness of what I was doing during the day of of uh, paperwork. So, and then you know I I decided you know now that I was going to have an empty an empty plate, I was going to just do this full time. And so to answer your actual question that you asked, which I haven't done yet, um, the business model I was thinking of back then, I I wasn't even thinking of a business model. I was just thinking, well, I'm going to make a good app, and I'll figure out a business model you know closer to launch. And the model I went with of De- of basically free app and you know demo trial versions of some features, some features are unavailable, and then one unlock to unlock them all for just a fixed price, and you know not like a subscription or anything, and not other models. I knew I wanted to do a free upfront app for the last few months before launch, but the actual model of like let me have these things that I that is just one unlock and it's five bucks and it's not recurring or anything like that. That part I decided a few weeks before launch. Yeah, because I remember the FAQ changing during the beta period. Um, I was surprised to see that you were at one point thinking <laughs> of just free because that seemed like a really bold move <laughs> to make. And the IAP was, I think, a, a good decision, and I'm going to come to that. But on that on that fact, like on the idea of the free part... Um, do you think that if your personal circumstances were different, the business model for Overcast would be different? Like if you hadn't had the previous successes that you had um, with your applications and, and being able to sell them and you mentioned when, when you did that it provided you with a level of security, do you think that Overcast would be like paid up front or they would be more rigid in its payment structure if your circumstances were different? No, honestly. You know, I... You know the the implication is that I have enough money that I don't need to worry about getting income from this, and you know depending on what kind of standard of living I want to have th- for the rest of my life, yeah, I could do that. That's true. I'm not going to argue that. But what you know, first of all, that's not really how I think. I I don't do things for free. 
you know, like my podcast has ads, you know, technically, yeah, I could, I could get away without that. My, my site has ads, you know, but I like having security from having income and, uh, and, you know, to me, that's just like, okay, well now I can save more, you know, I can, I, I can, I can have a better life down the road. Um, so it, it, I don't think I would have done it differently because the model I picked is not because I wanted to just give stuff away. The model I picked is because I think it's the only model that works. Mm. And, and that's, you know, for, for what I'm doing, obviously, like, you know, if you, if you have an app that a dentist office is going to, is going to depend on for their operations, you can charge whatever you want and they'll probably, it'll be worth it for them to pay it. For a consumer app like this, where it's just targeting, you know, average people, and there's other apps in the store that reach a few bucks, and some of them are free. Um, that you know, like the typical like consumer unfocused iOS market. I don't think you can get away with paid upfront anymore, and I think we've seen a lot of developers over the last few months, well, heck, let's be honest, years, uh, lamenting this and and watching their sales fall every day, and, and seeing and and that Instapaper was a free upfront app. And I I watched this myself, and I saw, you know, from the beginning of the App Store in 2008, I was there, and two months in, I had a paid app in the store, and so I saw the store for most for the the majority of its life, I saw the store's rise and fall of paid apps, and I just don't think it works anymore. I I think there's too much competition. It's not about people being cheap; it's about people having a lot more choices, many of which are free. And so you just can't compete with that if you're paid up front. Paid up front, you know, I talked a little bit about this on ITP this week, so sorry, anyone who's listening to both, but I'll, I'll summarize. Paid up front is easy, and that's why developers want to do it. It's really easy. You don't have to do anything. You just set a price in iTunes Connect. That's it. Uh, your app doesn't need to change. You don't need to consider any different states of the app, like whether it's been unlocked yet, whether the unlock is pending, parental approval on iOS 8, anything like that. You can just put the app out there, work on it, and and give updates, and and assume your sales will always keep going up. And the reality is, it used to be that way. Uh, when you know, for the first few years of the App Store, I would say through about 2012 at at the latest, that was still a very easy way to do things. But that really just doesn't work anymore. And it, it was it was a slow progression, and it's not because. Apple is being negligent in their design of the store. It's not because Apple's not giving us paid upgrades. It's because there's too much competition, and there's nothing you can do about that. There's nothing Apple can do about that. For, you know, what are they going to do? Restrict the number of developer memberships they give out? That's terrible. Uh, that's the only thing that would that would uh, meaningfully change this, and that's not a solution. So there's just a lot of developers out there, and so you need. I I think you need to be free upfront and find a different way to make money, whether it's in-app purchase or other means, uh, I think you need that to get meaningful people these days simply because paid up front, you're putting up a wall that increasingly fewer alternatives are putting up. You announced Overcast um, and its existence at XOXO last year. It's, it was about a year ago now. Um, why did you do this and would you do it again? I did it because I was asked to speak at XOXO and I had nothing else to talk about. <laughs> so I, I did that. Um, <laughs> no, and it was it was a combination. Uh, yeah, I, I'm always nervous that my talks won't be interesting enough. It was a great I, talk, I, by the way. Thanks. I, I'm very happy with it. Uh, uh, I'm very proud of it. I, 
I'm very nervous at conference speaking jobs. Not not nervous about the the stage fright, but nervous about whether my content will be liked. Which I guess is part of stage fright, but you know, it, yeah. it, like I'm I'm nervous about whether because I only give a talk like once a year, every year or two, so uh, it's not a frequent thing for me. So I'm not I'm not really a professional at it. Uh, so that's what I mostly worry about, and and so. I knew this would be interesting. I knew this would be an audience full of uh, fans, you know, and and podcast fans at, at the least. You know, even people who didn't know me, you know, the people who were there are likely to be podcast fans. Um, one of them might even scream out, "Yeah!" in the background after after I announce it. Some crazy person, probably. Yeah, had a British accent, <laughs> and uh, and so I I did it. So you know, I knew it would be a friendly audience. It was about the right time that I wanted to announce what I was doing anyway, because I was so tired of trying to keep it a secret. Because, like, you know, when, when it's a secret, you have to be careful, like, you know, does anyone see what session I'm going into at WBDC? You know, is anybody paying attention to what kind of questions I'm asking on Stack Overflow? Like, there's all these kind of things I was worrying about that would give away that I was working on a podcast app. And, and I figured... Feeling. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, come on. Everyone knew you were doing podcasts, at least. Come on. <laughs> I wonder what Mike's going to do next. Maybe, maybe he's going to expand his role in marketing for a bank. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, yeah, so I, I knew it was going to be a good audience. I, I wanted to, to announce what I was doing. The only thing I wouldn't do again is, is, is I gave an approximate release date. <laughs> yeah. Of course, anyone who's ever given an approximate release date, like six months out, um, has almost always regretted that decision and, and is wise enough to not do it again. This was my learning experience for that lesson. <laughs> so you would, I, I, would maybe pre-announce, but not say it's coming at this point. Yeah, like the and I didn't, I wasn't even that specific. It, the, the talk was in September, I think. Right? Yeah, it was in September, and and I and I said it will be out probably late this year, or or I think I even said like January or February at the at the latest, and it was released in July. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that's a little, a little off. Has the development of Overcast? I mean, maybe this answers the question you maybe already have. Has it been more work to to, to create the application than your other products like Instapaper or the magazine? Like, was there a lot more development that needed to go into it? I'm going to assume yes because of the audio processing stuff, but I don't know what, like, the text passing stuff looks like. So it was overcast more of a challenge than Instapaper. Definitely. And and the the reason why is not entirely the audio stuff. The audio stuff is hard, but it's contained. Like if you make an audio processing pipeline, you you have a couple of you know a couple of source code files there and a couple of classes and and you know you do it once and then it's basically done and you don't, you don't really have to touch it again. And and it's 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 simple in a way because it's like all right, well here's your input, make some output, and it's it's kept simple. The hard part about Overcast was building the entire rest of the app around the audio engine. Because podcast apps, as I learned, they're just big. They have a lot of screens. They have a lot of things they have to do and manage. And some of these things are tricky. Some of them require things like concurrency and locking and and different weird interface states. And everybody, you know, almost every feature request is requesting another state that an, an episode can be in. You know, if like it, like people want, for instance, a state that is new but not to be downloaded or not downloaded but mark as played or mark this thing as locked so it won't be deleted by the other deletion mechanisms or give me a different limit here than what you set here <laughs> and 
literally this is like every feature request is give me a give me a way to control minor behavior x or give me a new state that something can be in and so the 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 complexity of dealing with the interface and and the underlying architecture when everything can be in so many different states uh that that is difficult and just you know just the sheer number of screens that have to be in a podcast app like if you look Look around the app, like how many screens there are. Uh, it's it's crazy. But I guess there are only a couple of screens in Instapaper, right? You had like the list settings and the viewing of the text. Yeah, Instapaper was much simpler. And the app was not a simple app. But no. it, the podcast app is just that much more complex. <laughs> and and both of them had web components as well. The And, you know, so you were right to mention um, Instapaper's text parser. But the text parser is another thing where it's, it's kind of self-contained. You know, it, like you just give it this group of input and you expect this kind of output and the output is fuzzy it doesn't need to be exact uh, in fact it's very hard to make it exact and and so you know that i'm not, it wasn't easy but it was less hard i think than than what what an audio app of this of this size has to do now i want to talk to you about the beta process because i know that this was something that was different for you this time around but before we do that i want to just take a moment to thank our first sponsor for this week's episode um, and they're a launch partner of relay fm and that is igloo igloo have been fantastic in helping us get this off the ground and i want to take a moment to thank them for doing so igloo is an intranet you'll actually like anyone that's worked in a corporate environment like me knows how painful intranets can be. So in a corporate world, I've experienced quite a few of these types of products um, like SharePoint and stuff like that. And in all honesty, they pretty much all suck. But Igloo doesn't. It's actually built with human beings in mind. It's created in such a way that it's made for the user. It has easy-to-use cloud applications like shared calendars, Twitter-like microblogs, and file sharing. It tries to do all of the things that you want it to do and present it to you in a simple and easy-to-understand-and-use way. It work, Igloo works on your laptop, your tablet, or your phone. So if your team is working remotely or in the cubicles around you, you have the right tools to communicate and collaborate with them as you grow. Now, the idea of an internet service working on your laptop, tablet, or phone sounds like a simple thing, but this is huge. If you've ever used an intranet product, you know that this is just not the case. What Igloo does is it gives you the flexibility to get you to be able to get your work done wherever you want and whatever device you want to do it on. Igloo's building a product that's meant for today and the future, not 1997, like some of the competitors. Everything you need with Igloo is built right in. There's no need to manage multiple cloud apps or services, and everything on Igloo is social. So as you grow, coordinating people and projects is really, really simple. I had a great tour um, of Igloo myself a few weeks ago. Uh, all of their new customers get to sit down and have a full product demo with the Igloo team, and they did this over a WebEx with me, so I could see the screens and I could see what they were clicking through, and they gave me a full demo of the product. It was really awesome, and I can see how that's such a fantastic first experience for a customer because they can show their, and they really did, the Igloo guys there, they showed their passion for the product, and they gave me a full run-through, and they answered any questions that I had. I was really impressed by Igloo, the care and attention that, that the team have and also the product. And one of the things that I really loved was that every user in an Igloo, so one of the employees or your employees that use Igloo, they have the ability to customize their own homepage. So they can select all of the things that are important to them, like calendars, the blogs that they're interested in in the company. And they can set this up on their own page which they can customize and you can drag and drop all of the elements around. It's really awesome, and it it makes it like kind of your own home on in your intranet, which is a, a nice thing to have. 
One last thing I want to mention is that Igloo's social intranet tour is stopping in London, San Francisco, and New York over the next two months. If you're interested and you want to go along and see what they've got, go to igloosoftware.com slash London for more details. But the very best thing is that Igloo is free to use with up to 10 people. You can sign up right now at igloosoftware.com slash inquisitive and get started today. Thank you so much to Igloo for helping us launch Real FM and for supporting Inquisitive. Show your support for them and us by going to igloosoftware.com slash inquisitive and we have all of the links in the show notes. So let's talk about the beta process, Marco. Um, if I remember correctly you have said that you were more nervous to put the beta out to your testers than you were with the shipping version. Is that correct? Yeah, that's right. Because, you know, the beta group, um, you know, I had originally thought, oh, let me maybe stage this out. And so, you know, I'd have like an early group one and then, you know, later, like group one would be like, you know, just my closest friends or whatever. And then later on, I'd broaden it. And then at the end, at the very end, I would add the press people and, and, um, that was problematic for me because most of my friends are press people. And so, <laughs> so I, you know, drawing the line was, was tricky to begin with. And, and, I, and I thought, you know, let me, let me just involve everyone from the beginning because then they'll have the most time with the app. You know, this is, this is an app where, yeah, you, you can use it for five minutes to test it out. Uh, but ideally with a podcast app, you kind of move into it. You know, you make it your primary podcast app for a while to really get an idea of, of how you like it and how it works. And, and to figure out, you know, its strengths and weaknesses. So I wanted people to have a good amount of time with it. And the beta ended up being something like three months long. Uh, so anyway, so I, I decided to just give it to everyone at the very beginning. So effectively, the very beginning, the very first beta I shipped was me unveiling Overcast to most of my internet friends, as well as people who I respect quite a bit, and many of them being press people. <laughs> Or Apple people, even. So it was a very important release in a way. Just you know, it wasn't public, but it was a, it was unveiling my work for the first time to a lot of people whose opinions I respect and and whose work I respect. So that part was nerve wracking, and that was the first time you know I had shown it occasionally here and there to people in real life, but I had, I, I had never given anyone else developer builds. They, it had never run on any of their phones except my phone. At that point, um, my wife wasn't even using it yet. <laughs> I mean, she was still using Downcast at that point. <laughs> so, Making you cry every day. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and so it, that was, to me, that was like the 1.0 release in a way. You said when you, uh, I, was, I was very lucky to be included in the beta, and thank you for that. Um, you, you said early on that, I think in the first release, I'm a few weeks away from from submitting <laughs> yeah what changed once again i regret giving a date <laughs> i gotta stop doing that um what changed is that the beta people brought up really good points and and so and you were one of them so thank you um the the you know during the beta i was expecting to just get a few bug fixes and then ship the thing uh in reality the, the beta group was really good. They were good testers. And I've never really had that before. With Instapaper, I did some betas um, that were smaller and with different people. And a lot, you know, they would involve like, you know, random people who just emailed me saying, hey, I want to be a beta tester. And I wouldn't do them for as long. And I wouldn't do them for every release. And in fact, I hardly ever did them because the ones I did were just not very useful. People wouldn't really find a lot of bugs. A lot of times the beta testers would barely even use the app. Um, 
you know, it, it, when you when you ask for random beta testers, uh, most of the time people just want to do it because they want to see the app. They want early access. And they might think they're going to give feedback, but they probably won't. This is actually why I don't join most betas. Mm-hmm. Most betas I'm invited to, I decline because I, I, I know that I won't be a good tester because I'm not going to give that much time to it. Because it takes time. You know, you, you got you to gotta really play around with the app. Ideally, try to break it, try to find areas that they didn't think to test well enough. Um, and then have time to like to write up your thoughts and bug reports and, and your opinions. And that's all a lot of time. So this beta, what was different was people were actually doing that. And kind of for the first time ever for me. And so I was getting massive amounts of bug reports, feature requests, and people just pointing out things that kind of suck that I should improve. And so during the process, I, you know, rather than let me just fix what's here and ship it, it became, oh, I should really add this or I should really change the way this interface works or this is laid out. And so it was just a lot of work. Um, But the result of that was a far better app. And I'm extremely thankful to the the testers for that because what I would have shipped as 1.0, you know, it still had the audio stuff. It would have been fine, but what I did ship is way better. So the first 24 hours, um, I felt bad for you because it was brutal. Like in, in a way, if you look at it that way, there were so many questions and comments and opinions and it kind of happened within the first day or two. And how does it feel to to put something out to the world, you say to people that, that you respect and, and you know you, you were nervous of doing it and then for them to kind of, not tear it apart, but like you, you've made all these decisions and you've just got people telling you you're wrong. How did that feel, That the, those sort of first couple of days? Were you happy to receive it? Was it hard to receive? I don't think it was that hard. It, and and that I'm surprised because I don't often take criticism that well. <laughs> but I, I don't think it was that hard because, you know, it's one thing if someone says, you know what, I don't like this. This just sucks. That's not very helpful. You can't really do anything with that except, like, you know, rage against it or decide to ignore it. Um, but the testers, you know, being friends and being good people and being smart people, uh, the testers weren't saying, this sucks. They they were pointing out ways that this could be better. And that, to me, it, it didn't seem like an attack. It seemed like a really good idea. And I was like, oh, I should really, you're right, I agree, wow. That, I should really do that. Or... You know, people who would misunderstand features. This was usability testing for me. People who would say, "I don't really get what this is." You know, what, what, what is voice boost again? And at the time, it wasn't even called that. It was just called boost. And like, what is, what does that do? And, and, or you know, what is smart speed? Even you know, this simple things like that. Um, or I don't, you know, what does this mean when this is is this color? You know, it was very good usability testing. And you know, when you design an app for yourself for for months you know how it works already. So you are not a good tester for how usable it is and how discoverable it is and how we, if the interface makes sense or not. Because of course it makes sense to you, you made it. Yeah. And and so this was extremely valuable uh, testing, you know, because I was seeing for the first time how other people will see it. And and there were there were a few things during the beta that people brought up that I didn't address. And sure enough, I heard about it after launch. From 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 the world, you know. So, it, I I it was very valuable feedback because all the things that I that I did change during the beta and that I did improve or fix, 
it would have been so much harder if I would have released those things and the entire world was telling me to change or fix those things. And there are things. I mean, the, the beta, you know, 1.0 was not perfect. Even the current version, which is 1.0.2 at the moment, that is also not perfect. Um, there are still bugs I need to fix. But now the percent, like I, I use Crashlytics, so it tells me like, you know, percentage of users who ever have a crash. And it's down to like 5%. I, I've, I have very few crashes. There are still some, some non-crash bugs, but it's, it's getting lower and lower. And, and so what I shipped was way higher quality than it would have been without this beta test. Would you, for your, your next project sometime in the future, would you follow the same sort of process? Definitely. Yeah, and, and I wouldn't give any release dates. <laughs> um, so in the same sort of vein, you then kind of release the project to the world, um, which is, you know, this process times a thousand, right? People with lots of opinions, etc. Um, and we'll dive into those in a bit, but I just wanted to understand from you, like, how you feel and how you deal with releasing something like this. So when it comes up to, to the large release day um, and you're gearing up and you know that everything's in place and you're confident that it's going to work, do you fear the moment? When well, you... hold on. <laughs> I wasn't confident it was going to work. But... <laughs> <laughs> confident enough, then, that you, you're happy to release it. Uh, do you fear the process of, of pressing, like, publish and letting the people, letting the world know, kind of releasing it to the masses? Because I had the beta, and, and because the beta had so many people on it, and because none of them said this app sucks, um, I was not afraid of everyone seeing it. I was afraid of it breaking, and of the servers collapsing, and you know all these, all these worries. So I was not afraid of the moment I pushed the button. I was afraid of two hours later, basically. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, and I, I spent most of that first day reading tweets, because I got... Literally, I got a few thousand tweets in response to this launch and, and the app uh, in, in over the course of about 48 hours. <laughs> and so, um, and, you know, emails started pouring in. I had like 2,000 emails by a few days in. And so it was mostly reading feedback and, and processing it all and, you know, making a list of what I need to address next and, and what the first bug fix needs to, needs to address. Fortunately, the, the servers did not collapse. And and there were not too many really horrible bugs that shipped in 1.0. There was there was one about uh, it would it would occasionally use cellular data when you told it not to, and that that was bad mm-hmm. um, because that could cost people money. So that one I, I I rushed a fix out for that. But otherwise, it was it was a pretty normal launch. It, it was it was pretty smooth. The servers were as I said, the servers were fine. You know everything was fine. Um, there you know again small small bugs, but nothing nothing massive really. So, but man, it was, how I felt was pretty bad. I, I really messed my back up. <laughs> I, had, I had, I was like, I was holding so much tension in my back that I ended up being pretty badly injured for about five days uh, and, and semi-incapacitated. Like I couldn't, it, it was ma- making the problem worse was that I couldn't work at my desk for very long. Uh, it, it for very long spans during those first that first week. Therefore, only adding to the stress. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> it, it was it was not good. I, I've I, I've I've recovered from that for the most part, <laughs> but it, that was that was a tough week, mostly because of my own stress, not because of anything that actually happened. Is that where is that how stress manifest manifests for you in the back pain? 
that's how it did the most recent time. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'll let you know next time if it changes. <laughs> you mentioned criticism, that you sometimes don't take criticism that well. Now, the first, I guess, in those thousand tweets and 2,000 emails, there was quite a lot of criticism. I can just imagine by, you know, just by law of averages. Does it still affect you as much to receive this kind of, to receive criticism from, from people en masse, or have you hardened to it a little bit by now? Because you do receive criticism for quite a lot of things that you do, for one yeah. reason or another. Yeah, I I don't, th- it, first of all, it, it wasn't nearly as much criticism as I expected. Uh, the the response to Overcast was overwhelmingly positive, and and this was the first time I've ever I've ever released something that had a reaction that positive, uh, and and so that I was thrilled by. The, the the criticism of the app has has even on day one and since then has has remained pretty minimal and pretty constructive. There are only a very small number of people who were really nasty about it, and that's you know to be expected when you have this many people. So it. I, I mean, it, now I'm better able to deal with it just because there's less of it, and 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 I'm you know I'm getting better at it for the most part, uh, but it's a slow process. Uh, getting getting better at dealing with criticism is not is not a quick thing to fix about your personality, but uh, mostly I, I I was just very happy that there wasn't more of it. How do you choose what to respond to? It depends a lot on what time of day I see it. <laughs> and whether I've been responding to a lot of emails already that day, yeah, um, you know, it's you know, there's all these like, <laughs> all these like stats about how like you know a, a car that was assembled on a Friday afternoon is going to be less reliable than the one assembled on Monday morning <laughs> or whatever. There's like, <laughs> like there, you know, the reality is I'm I'm a human being, and so most of the time throughout the day I'm not looking at the support email inbox um, because if I did that I would never get anything else done. If I was constantly checking that, because you know, a support email comes in, you know, sometimes every few minutes. Um, right now, I have almost five hundred sitting there waiting for viewing. I cannot believe it's still at that number. Well, that's because I haven't responded in mass for like a week. Right. I've been wor- I've been working on the bug fix updates. Sure, <laughs> and, and replied to all fixed. <laughs> yeah, well, and so that's you know what I what I quickly realized um, at the beginning was you know when I had like two thousand emails after a few days. I realized I'd be better served taking a couple of days to actually fix all the common problems. You know, I, I read like you know, the first couple hundred of them and I'm like, all right, these are all reporting the same five things. Uh, so let me actually fix the, the most egregious problems before I respond. And then I'll take a few days to do that. And then I'll respond to people saying, I have fixed this. This is, this is useful information for you. Like, you know, rather than thanks for your feedback, you know, that I could, I could make a bot to say, thanks for your feedback. I, you know, you don't need me to look at your email to say that. Um, so I'd rather give people more useful information, such as this has been fixed in this version, which has been submitted to Apple and should be re- should be out in about a week. Uh, so that's 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 the method I choose to take. Um, so how I choose what to respond to is basically how much time will it take me to respond to this, and and also you know has the person put in a lot of effort here? You know if, if the person kind of just falls on the keyboard and sends me a few curse words, I'm not going to respond to that, uh, but. If someone takes the time to write a thoughtful email and it'll take me 15 seconds to send a nice response, I'll yeah. do it. You know, it's it, it's it's a matter of of do I have time to give this the response it deserves. Many of them don't deserve much of a response, mm-hmm. but many of them do. And and so that's that's basically how I decide. And 
and you know the, and the ones i don't respond to it isn't always because they're nasty or or sloppy a lot of times it's like i don't have a good response for this or i have to think about this before i respond uh or you know writing a proper response to this would take an hour and there's just realistically never going to be a time when it will be worth spending an hour on this response uh so you know that's it's mostly about managing my own time because as i said like if i if i answered every email that came in even trivially i wouldn't have time to do anything else uh, including work on the app that would solve the problems that would make the email slow down and if i and you know obviously i could hire somebody to answer the email for me and i've done that in the past with with previous projects i didn't want to do it for this at least not yet because seeing that email like i i definitely read them all although well i i should clarify sometimes people send a giant wall of text that i just skim <laughs> <laughs> i there man i wish email had a character limit but <laughs> yeah. um it is very useful to read the email because it's useful to see what people are thinking about the app and and it's if I hired someone else to do it, even even if they would give me a summary of like, all right, there's roughly this many people respond, you know, requesting this, there's this many people requesting this, this many people reporting this bug, um, even if they gave me that summary, which you know that's that's a lot of time for them, they probably wouldn't have time to do that. Um, that's still removing a lot of information from me. That's still hiding a lot of feedback, and that's still giving a level of disconnection between me and my customers that is probably not good for either of us. Mm-hmm. And so if, if I can keep email to a manageable level and if I can get away with not responding to most of them, it allows me to have an incredible amount of feedback in real time about what my app is doing, what problems it has, what shortcomings it has, what people like about it and what they don't like about it. And for the ones that I do, that I do actually respond to, that email comes directly from me. And most of the people over there on the on the other end of the email don't realize that this person who signs the email with Dash Marco is the person who wrote it. Uh, they just think I'm some support bot. But for the few people who do know that I wrote this app and that I personally responded to their email, that means something to them. That, yeah. that like the the fact that the developer took time to personally respond to their email, that makes that person potentially a, a much bigger fan of yours and and a much more likely supporter of your future endeavors and your and the future times you ask them for money. So that's very important to to a small business to have that kind of to to have that kind of relationship with people and and to build that kind of trust with people. And and, and you know the fact is, I think it's great for me that I'm reading all their emails. But I bet people also would appreciate knowing that the developer read their email. And so you know anything I can do to boost that is uh, is a good idea probably. But unfortunately. You know, there's only a certain amount of time that the developer can read emails instead of working on development. Yeah, you can, <laughs> you can so, read all the emails, but then you can't develop the app anymore. Exactly, which will then cause me to get more emails. So, <laughs> yep. so it, I've been very careful. I've been trying very hard to design the app in such a way to minimize the amount of email I get, because I, you know, if if you have an opinion on something about the app, I want to know that. But if you're asking something like, when will this bug be fixed? And I, I've already submitted a fix. I would like to have the app be able to tell you that. So like now in, in 101 and 102, um, I added, or maybe it was just 102. Anyway, in no, it was in 101. In, in the first update, I added this feedback page where 
you know, originally in the app, there's a button that says send feedback and it just opens up an email form. And then in the first update, I added this intermediary page where you tap send feedback and first it shows you this big feedback page. And it's a big, it's a, it's an FAQ and it has links saying, all right, here's email, here's Twitter. And then it says, here's what's fixed in the next version. That's clever. Here's, here's what was fixed in this version. Here's <laughs> frequently asked questions. Here's frequently reported bugs and some answers to them. And so I show people this fact right in their face before I let them send me an email. They don't have to read it, and many of them don't. And many of them still ask me questions that are answered five pixels below the button they tap to send email. However, the number has been reduced, certainly, and it has helped. So, uh, you know, I, I do things like that. Or, you know, give people self-service options. There's a way in the app to, for, if you forgot your password, you don't have to email me. That's stupid. There's a forgot password button in the app on the login screen. If you want to delete your entire account, there's a button to do that right in the app. You don't have to go to the website even. In fact, I haven't even built it on the website. You can't do that on the website yet, but you can do it in the app. Um, you know, just, just building in things to address common questions and to let people serve their own needs instead of having to come to you for everything, those all serve to reduce support email. I love one of the known issues. Um, you say chapters are not supported. It's just it's considering. It's such a yeah. it's such a great answer. <laughs> well, also, I mean, there's a practical concern, which is if I can make my answers really short, I can fit more of them on screen, and you're more likely to see it before you yeah. give up on scrolling and just email me. I feel like here's the twenty reasons why. Yeah. What about um, reviews and press coverage? How important are they to you for people to find out about the application? Um, and do you make any considerations when thinking about things like this? They're very important on launch day because the, the reviews will make your launch. You know, there, there's a chance Apple will feature you when you launch. If, if you submit an app, you know, Apple has people watching App Store submissions. Um, I don't know how closely they watch updates, but they definitely watch new apps. They have editorial teams. And, and the, you know, they, they're looking for things to feature. And so if you submit a, a new app that is nicely designed and seems to do something useful that might be useful to a lot of people or might be interesting or somehow makes Apple's platforms look good or uses the things they just brought out, like uses new features in the new OS or uses things that they always like, like Newsstand, especially like Newsstand, I, I got featured for the magazine partly because I was using Newsstand and very few people do and partly because there just wasn't a lot of good stuff to feature in newsstand <laughs> and so praise the, the lord somebody smit an app <laughs> yeah. so the bar was pretty low <laughs> um and and so anyway so you know there's a chance apple will feature you uh if you submit something that looks good that that fits you know what they're looking for but you can't count on that and so you really need external press to to launch the app for you if if you want a big launch and you should want a big launch if you want because it's uh it's it's really good, um, but that it, it, the the value of the press coverage pretty much ends after you know day three. Yeah. Uh, then then you're pretty much on your own in the app store, and the value of an Apple feature ends after a week, and so you know after after the first couple of weeks, you're on your own. Like my sales in the last week or so are, oh geez, let me let me see, about. 45 times lower than on the first few days. <laughs> That's normal though, right? Like you expect yes. that? Okay. Yeah, and my first few days were awesome, so you know, it amplifies that effect, but uh you know, I had I had 
two and a half days of awesome sales of like ridiculous sales from my awesome press coverage, which I'm very thankful for. And now I'm at a normal level again. And, and so, you know, the, the day-to-day sales have nothing to do with that press coverage or very little to do with it. You know, there, there's going to be some people because I, because it's free upfront and in-app purchase later to unlock things. Certainly there's going to be some people who, who, you know, downloaded it on day one, but didn't buy the upgrade. And then over time they realize they want the upgrade and then they buy it. So, you know, I can thank the press for that. But for the most part, after the first week or so, you're on your own out there in the app store and it's up to you and, and your own efforts to, to market the app, to get people to see it and to convince people who find it to buy it. So I want to take a quick break again to talk about our second sponsor for this week's episode. And that is the fine folks over at Squarespace. Squarespace are the all-in-one platform to make it fast and easy to create your own professional, thank you, website, portfolio, and online store. For a free trial and 10% off, visit squarespace.com and enter the offer code QUESTION at checkout. A better web starts with your website. Squarespace are so fantastic, I think. Um, They've been so kind to me over the last few years, and they're jumping in and helping us launch Relay because... I think that they not only believe in podcasts, but they think that what we do is awesome, and I think what they do is awesome. So they deserve your support if for that, if not you know for that, if not anything else. But let me tell you about what Squarespace do. If you're inspired to start a blog or a podcast of your own, maybe you want your own web project, maybe you want to be the next Marco Arment, then there's nowhere better to start and to turn than Squarespace. They give you all of the tools that you need to allow you to quickly and easily get your next project live on the internet. Squarespace is the full package. They give you the control to create something that you love that looks amazing and professional. You have access to beautiful-looking, professionally designed, mobile-responsive templates. They have powerful but simple-to-use page-building tools, allowing you to make the pages look exactly the way you want with a drag-and-drop page-building system. But if you are a person that wants to get in the code and you want to inject your own CSS, they make all of that possible for you as well. They feature Typekit and Google Fonts right out of the box, allowing you to select a truly beautiful typeface for your website or blog. Squarespace have 24-7 award-winning support over email and chat. They have teams located in New York City, Portland, and Dublin. And they also have a selection of awesome apps to help you manage your site, check your stats, and so much more. As I mentioned, and as Marco likes me to say, Squarespace is simple and easy, and they really are. You can get a site up and running in just minutes with Squarespace, and there's a reason that we chose them for our Relay blog, because in my opinion, there's nobody better. Squarespace pages are built with their drag-and-drop page-building system. It's so fantastic, and you build everything within the web browser so you can see exactly how it's going to look before you push live. And then you also have Squarespace Commerce, which is their online store functionality. Every single site comes with the ability to add a store to it, and you can sell any products that you might have to sell. You can start a trial right now with no credit card required and start building your website on Squarespace today. When you decide to sign up, make sure that you use the offer code QUESTION at checkout to get 10% off your first purchase and show your support for Inquisitive. We thank Squarespace for their support of this show and all of Relay FM. So go to Squarespace, where a better web starts with your website. Marco, how did you decide where to cut off development? Where did you draw the line at what features you wanted for Overcast? And the reason I asked this, because there was something that really it sort of sparked my interest for this question, where at one point you spoke about possibly just waiting for iOS 8 because of the features that the APRs would enable, and we, you know, we now know that streaming. So why did you decide to release before? Why did you not just wait? 
you you chose to draw a line and to be like, right, this is as much as I need now. It was partially my own. You know, partially, people were bugging me about it, but that wasn't the most most of the reason. Partially, it was it, it was mostly just my own um, stress of having not shipped it yet. And the earlier I I knew the earlier I shipped it, the earlier I'd start getting, you know, massive scale bug reports, massive scale feature requests, and I could start making a dent in the market. Um, also, my features of the core features of the app were secret until I launched, and so I I was kind of tired of trying to keep those secret, and I wanted to make make an impact in the market, and you know. I was, you never know when someone else is going to launch into your market. You know, I even talked about this in the XOXO talk. Like, I was always so afraid with Instapaper that somebody would, would beat me to a feature or something. And the reality is it doesn't matter that much. But I did have, I still did have a lot of that fear with Overcast. Um, that I had, I, I had spent so much time and effort on these audio processing features and I really wanted to be the first one out there with them, which I, which I'm not actually. I'm the first one who did, who did them the way I did them. But there, like, there's there's an app called uh, RSS Radio that has a silent skipper and that has DSP effects. And so you could you could you could get most of what I do in that app uh, if you wanted to. Uh, they they do things a little bit differently, but you know it's it's a similar kind of thing at least. And so you know that aside, I I just wanted to be the first big splash out there that did many of the things that I do. Uh, whether, you know, whether it's a feature checklist item or not, like I, I wanted to make a splash. I didn't want someone else to steal my thunder. I didn't want some, something else new to launch that would take over the market and, and make my app no longer really necessary. So it was, it was most of those pressures that made me say, you know what, I just need to release this thing. But it was it, mostly it was because I, I was already like, you know, six months late uh, based on my original arbitrary deadline, <laughs> I was I was already six months late and realized, you know, I just want to get this out there, and I still haven't even begun work on iOS eight. I still don't have iOS eight on my main phone. I still am not developing with the iOS eight SDK, um, and iOS eight is going to probably be released in like a month. <laughs> We're very close to it being released, and uh, I still have not even started on iOS eight work because. What I, you know, what's very useful to me is that in this process of of launching in July, instead of waiting for iOS 8 release in September, I've I've now had over a month to fix bugs and and to to really nail down the 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 function the the basics of the app and to solidify them and and to fix issues to add little little changes here and there that make a big difference to people in the market. I've had time to do all that. So I, and I've been able to do all that on a very, very stable established platform of iOS seven and its SDK. So it's actually been, been better for me that I launched before right. iOS eight. And, and I, I knew some of this would happen. I, I probably underestimated it, but uh, I knew some of this would be the case by launching early. But so for the most part, it was a combination of pragmatism of, you know, giving myself all summer to fix bugs and also uh, market stress. So we've, we've spoken about the amount of feedback that you receive and a lot of these being feature requests. How do you decide um, which behaviors that you want to change in the application? And how do, you cha- how do you decide how the implementation is made? And a couple of examples that I'll give for things that I've found interesting. Um, alphabetical sorting, 
um, and the way that the is treated. I, I remember you saying, I think this is in the beta process, that you liked it all the the shows to be grouped together. But you've now changed it because you received a lot of feedback about it. And also the kind of visual notification that you were tweeting about, which was excellent from the Overcast account a couple of weeks ago, trying to get sort of real-time feedback and showing design mock-ups of how you can show in playlists whether they're as unlistened episodes by just either using like a circle dot or like fading the text, which is what you've chosen to do. So how do you make a decision when you're getting this sort of feedback and you're working through things? What stuff to change and what not to change? That's tough. Um, you know, certainly I, I am an opinionated person. I have strong opinions about how certain things should be. But certain things are just minor decisions that I don't really care that much either way about. And so the the sorting with the word the and whether it should be alphabetized or whether it should be ignored uh, and alphabetizing on the next word, that, you know, stuff like that, I really didn't feel that strongly about. <laughs> and so when it became clear that the market preferred it one way, I just said, all right, fine, I'll, I'll do it your way. You know, I don't really, I don't mind. <laughs> you know, it's no big deal. Um, certain things like like a badge number count icon uh, on the on the on the icon like a number badge saying you have this many unplayed episodes in this app here's a big red number to yell at you about that yeah i i feel a little more strongly about those things and i don't even like like for you know as a number badge as an example with instapaper i i resisted ever adding that and and the main reason why is because i knew it added a level of stress and clutter to your ios home screen that i i never liked apps that used red badges and it also didn't make sense, like semantically, it didn't make sense that, okay, well, Instapaper is a queue that you add things to explicitly. So why do I need to notify you of something that you added? Like, it, you already know you added it. You did it. It, it. This didn't come out of nowhere. You put it there. Um, so it didn't make sense there. With Overcast, it might make sense because, you know, the, the model is different. This is more like news. This is like an inbox. It's questionable, though, whether I want it to feel like an inbox. So I, I, it makes more sense, logically, to add that feature than, than my other previous apps. But I'm still not a big fan of it. So I probably won't ever add that feature. If I did ever add that feature, it would be an option, and it would default to off. But I'm not even sure it's worth having an option. You know, if you look at the other podcast apps, m- not all of them, but many of them have just walls of options just multiple screens full of options some of them have so many options they've had to separate them into levels and they have like their setting screen is like six or seven items each of which opens up to its own sub setting screen yeah and i can totally see how this happens because as i mentioned earlier like what people request after you launch a podcast app the things people request are all things that like kind of need to be options because not everyone wants them that way, but some people do. And, you know, the only way to solve this is to have an option. And so I try to avoid things like that because what I'm, what I'm realizing is that a lot of people like overcast already has a market share among pod, among tech podcasts that I know of. And, you know, among people who have told me stats of how many of their how many of their listeners are using Overcast as reported by whatever feed stats thing they're using? The market share it has already achieved is far beyond my expectations. It has already done extremely well. 
and it's and I have to I have to look at that and say, well, I've already achieved these numbers without adding these features. And a lot of the reasons why people like Overcast is because it doesn't have a million features and because it doesn't have a million settings and because it's simple and, and doesn't have these different states everything can be in. Because every option you add is, is cost. It, it, it has a cost to you to make it. It has an ongoing cost to support it, to develop it, to test for it, to maintain it. Uh, and then it has a cost in the interface and a cost on people's you know, perception. Like I, I don't know if normal people think this way, but... You know, me as a programmer, when, when I'm using an app or, or like a hardware device, I'm kind of trying to keep track of states in my head. I'm trying, you know, like, okay, well, I did this and therefore, you know, I have a mental model of like, this is the state everything is in. Or this is, this is the behavior that will happen if I push this button. Or, you know, I, I, I try to keep that in my, in my head. And the, the more complex an app or device is, the harder it is to do that and, and the more of a cognitive load that is to try to keep that state in your mind. And so, you know, with Overcast, this is one of the reasons why I don't have different states for new or downloaded. Right. New items get downloaded. If you want to not download something, you delete it. <laughs> and then it becomes not new anymore. <laughs> and if you want to listen to it, you tap it, it downloads, and you can listen. <laughs> and then it's not, and then it's new again. Like, yeah. there, is, there are no intermediary states. I mean, there's a downloading state. But there, there is no state that's like, well, this thing is new, but I don't want it to download. No, you know, you could, I know almost every other app offers that. I don't offer that because I want to reduce the number of states, keep it simple. And people like that because like with Overcast, you know that anything new, if you look at the, if you look at the home screen and the download icon does not have a frowny face on it, you know that you have it all, that you have downloaded those files, you have them. And if you go on a plane, they're going to be there. And, and you know, just like the, the, the conceptual simplicity of that makes it feel solid it makes it feel predictable and you, it makes you feel like you're in control as a, as a user that's all very important to me and so i it's very important for me not to ruin that with additional complexity additional modes and states um and and you know cluttering up the ui so the way i manage feature you asked about feature request management right is that where we started with this yeah yeah there there are thereabouts like sort of the way that yeah, how you deal with that, how you choose what to implement and whatnot. Right. So how I how I choose is, you know, can I whatever what these whatever people are asking for, can I do that without having too much cost on the other end? Can I do that with you know without making things more complex or cluttering up the interface in a way that that will turn off more people than please the number of people who are requesting it? And and that's, you know, as I as I'm looking at feedback, I get overwhelmingly people say, "Please don't add any, don't add anything more. <laughs> like, please leave it the way it is because it's fine the way it is. I like it, and it, and it's different now. If I added a bunch of options, I would then be competing with the apps that have tons of options, and they're always going to win. Like, I will never have as many options as the other apps. So, you know, for for me to realize. I think it's very important to realize in, in any business why people choose you. Why do your customers go to you instead of your competitors? And if you look at, I mean, geez, look at Microsoft, right? Like Microsoft has has for so long, under Balmer mostly, they, they for so long did not really understand why people choose Microsoft products. 
and they would do weird things like Windows 8, where this was clearly like, you know, clearly Windows 8 was made because Microsoft was under the wrong impressions about why people are Microsoft customers. Right. And, and you know, this is, it's such a common thing to see businesses do this. So it's important for me to realize that when I get an email from somebody, or even, even if I get an email from 100 people requesting a certain feature, you know, I, I have to prioritize and say, well, if I satisfy these 100 people, am I going to make the app worse for the other 100,000 people? And a lot of times people don't put that kind of thought into it. And that's, I think, how you end up with an app that has 17 pages of settings. So there was a there was a tweet that, that you posted a couple of weeks ago that I think encapsulates this quite well. Um, you said, I made overcast because I had a different opinion on how, why, and where to say no. I'll always need to be careful not to ruin that. Is, is that something you felt a strain on? Um, no, it's it's easy for me to say no. I, I've done it enough now. That, and And also saying no is the default. The default is... I won't do additional work. <laughs> you know? So uh it's it's easy to say no and and as I've as I've seen the app succeed so far, I've I've gotten more confidence to know to trust my own instincts a little more with these things to say, you know what, do I really need that? Probably not. Um so it actually is easy for me now. Yeah. So um I saw you tweet last week that you need to, re- to re- remove the need to have an overcast account now to sign up for the application because of some reasons. How do unexpected changes like this affect your business? Like, How do you make sure that you're ready and prepared to deal with something that now effectively changes a big decision that you had to make? Um, there's nothing really you can do. I mean, you know, I just, I just dealt with it. You know, right. I like... I, I was uh, asked by a prominent force in the market, a large fruit company, mm-hmm. uh, asked me to remove the need to make accounts, and by asked, I mean told, and so I just did it, because that's what you got to do, yeah. and it, it wasn't that big of a deal, honestly. Like it, The reason I didn't have accounts, I, I went into this in ATP this week, so I'm not, I won't go into too much detail, but the sure. reason I didn't have accounts is to minimize support load, again, going back to earlier discussion. Um, when people mess it up, it like if you if you have if you have an option to not have an account, and then someone signs into a new device, like you know, l- let's say they restore their phone, and they uh su- they 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 didn't have an account before, but they forgot that they they you know they see a login screen, they type in an email and password, they don't read the button that says create account, they think it says login because nobody reads, and then they ha- they have inadvertently created a new blank account rather than signing into their old you know non account iCloud based thing, and then they, so they to, it, but in their minds they just logged into the app and it's blank, and I lost everything for them, you know, and and then they get angry and they email me or they leave a one star review or whatever, and so the, and I saw this happen with Instapaper all the time where people would inadvertently create duplicate accounts with just a different email address or something you know when they when they restored a device or got a new device. And they would see a blank screen and think I lost everything, yeah. and freak out. And so the original um, decision to to require accounts and to have them all just be emails and not usernames was an effort to minimize that. Um, by being forced to go back on that and let people create an account just anonymously with with no email address, 
um, you know, it's not a, it's code wise, it isn't a big deal. Business wise, it isn't a big deal. It will affect support. It, w- it will raise my support cost, and it will create opportunities for that kind of situation to happen. For that, I'm annoyed. Uh, but overall, it is it is an improvement, I think, to the app to have this option. Uh, I was this is again one of those things where like I had this opinion before. But I didn't feel that strongly about it. <laughs> it's like I could be convinced, you know, pretty easily to go the other direction on it, and I was convinced by force. But I was convinced, so it wasn't that big of a deal, really. Yeah, and, and I guess the, the okay, the added support cost is kind of sucks, but it's a bigger cost not having your application available. So, <laughs> yeah, and and the fact is, you know, this will bring in more users. Yeah, uh, no question. Your and, your conversion rate will probably increase, right? Yeah, I, I, yeah. I, I mean, there are there are upsides to this. You know, the the app is probably better off overall for it, but it will be extremely bad for a small number of people, and possibly for my review average when that happens. Mm-hmm. But but you know, overall, I will get more users, and you know, and this this removes like you know at, at launch one of the, one of the points people dinged me for was like some of the, some of the press reviews said, oh well, but you have to make an account, and this is a negative. Uh, so you know, now I've removed a negative. The, the account thing is weird to me. I don't know. I can't see the problem. Like I have some. I have accounts for everything. Like I don't get it. Like to me, even even if there weren't really any benefits, I'd be like, okay, and just sign up because it's like, what do you not have an account for these days? But I guess there are some people that are very security conscious, um, and maybe I'm less so. And I think I am less so, which probably is why I just don't care about it. But a lot of it's just like you know I I understand why like like I mentioned on I mentioned on debug how like you know people a lot of a lot of people have been so badly mistreated by customer support people over the years in in big companies because you know calling a big company for customer support is almost always frustrating because they you know the even if you get somebody on the other end who's nice and conscientious they're probably also powerless <laughs> and and so it's just frustrating and. So a lot of times people, you know, they approach customer support emails or reviews in the app store with a default level of hostility because they're just angry that they're never, their needs are never heard. They're always mistreated. They're always ripped off. You know, maybe the last five apps they downloaded um, cost a dollar each and they're upset they lost all their money because they weren't very good. Maybe, you know, maybe the last time they emailed a developer, they never responded. Oops. Um, mm. <laughs> and, and, and so the, the, the default attitude is anger. And if you respond as a human being, you diffuse that, um, but you know, it, be, because the default attitude is anger, because people are so frustrated in general at the crap that is customer support and and the the hostility that that many websites show them, many things that require accounts show them, they are by default hostile towards account creation. They are by default mistrusting of what somebody will do with their email address. Uh, and I can't really fault them for that because how many things do you sign up with an email address with and they don't spam you? You know, how many things, like how often does that work out well for you? <laughs> and, and then think like, look at, look at regular people in your life who are less nerdy than you. Mm-hmm. And how, how often does it work out for them? You know, how, how often do they sign up for something and, and not get spammed with a newsletter every day? You know, it, it, it's, it's rare. So I, I, I do get the skepticism even from people who are not geeks, uh, I, I get the the hesitation in creating another account. 
So I want to just take a moment to thank our last sponsor and uh, launch partner for uh, Relay FM and the, this week's episode of Inquisitive, and that is the fine folks over at the Omni Group, and we're talking about OmniFocus today. So OmniFocus has recent OmniFocus Two has recently been released for the Mac, and it features a brand new design that feels right at home after you've used OmniFocus Two for iPhone. And I know that it's going to look fantastic on Yosemite too. There's a new standard version of OmniFocus with a much cheaper price of just forty dollars. This allows you to get a handle on all of your projects and gives you all of the features that you're going to need to stay productive like the ability to easily sync with OmniFocus for iPhone and the current version of OmniFocus for iPad with Omni's own free sync server. This allows you to stay in control no matter where you are. You can take advantage of OmniFocus 2's incredible forecast view to get a quick glimpse of your day, week, or month, and you can easily see all of your tasks and appointments in one screen, allowing you to effectively plan out your day. Personally, I live in forecast mode on my Mac and on my iPhone because I am a a big user OmniFocus too, and I couldn't live without it. Being able to go in there and see all of the tasks that I have in a day and also to see all of my appointments allowing me to effectively plan when I need to get those tasks done is really powerful for me. OmniFocus 2 for Mac also features a slick review mode which allows you to quickly check out the status of all of your projects so you can see exactly how you're progressing at a glance. Once you really dig into OmniFocus, you're going to wonder how you got by without it. You're going to want to live in this application because it kind of becomes central to the way that you work. OmniFocus 2, there's also a pro version of it, and it offers some additional fantastic features like Apple Script functionality and custom perspectives. You can go to the website omnigroup.com slash omnifocus, and they have a great comparison chart so you can decide which version of OmniFocus 2 is right for you. And don't forget, OmniFocus 2 for iPad should be launching alongside iOS 8, and it will round out this uh, fantastic suite of uh, applications in the brand new and lovely interface that they developed. If you'd like to find out more about OmniFocus, go to omnigroup.com slash omnifocus. OmniFocus 2 is available directly from the OmniGroup's website or the Mac App Store. So that's OmniFocus from the OmniGroup. Your life in perspective. Thank you so much to Omni for their support of uh, Inquisitive and all of Relay FM. So Marco, one of the last things that I want to talk to you about today is the community that you are now sort of involved in on many different aspects. So you are a podcast app maker and a podcaster. And I wonder now, where do you feel your place is in the community? Have you tried to make any decisions with this sort of stuff in mind? Do you have, have you had any conflicts of interest when developing Overcast or being a podcaster with ATP and how these two things maybe clash or meet? Well, you know, I, I put ATP in the directory. So, <laughs> so uh, you know, there's, there's that. Um, but even like like my directory categories, I, I didn't want to have to show uh, favoritism in that. And so when you when you open a directory category, the order of the podcast within it is actually randomized. Yep. And it, you know, just every time you open it, it's it's different. And so uh, you know that's that was kind of one way to to alleviate that a little bit. But overall, um, I don't know. I mean, I suppose conflicts will arise, and I'll try to deal with them as as best as I can. But it's not that big of a deal i don't like I, I don't think a lot of conflicts will arise i don't think major conflicts will arise for me you know i i care i care a lot more about podcasting in general than i do about my particular show i can always make another show mm-hmm. you know <laughs> and i will always make other shows you know i i like i really enjoy podcasting um but i care a lot about the medium as a whole and about other shows and so 
it's very important for me to only do things that will be in the best interests of the medium. For instance, so, you know, one thing, like one of the ideas I had, which almost everyone who's made a podcast app has at least had this idea before, was what if I keep track of the sections of a podcast that people skip and then make some kind of like cloud-sourced skip feature where I would offer the ability, I would offer an option for you to, for your podcast client to automatically skip sections that other people frequently skipped. Um, well, you can imagine that would skip a lot of ads <laughs> and, and that would possibly be a compelling feature for a lot of people. In practice, I don't think it would ever work well enough for it to ever become big. Uh, I, I think it would skip things that were, that were content too often. But it would have the effect, if it was out there, of dramatically reducing the effectiveness of podcast ads and therefore reducing their value yeah. and therefore reducing the amount of income that people would make from podcasting. It would make me and, very sad, Marco. Right, and say. it would make me very sad. <laughs> <laughs> and, and it would ultimately um, damage the medium. And I, I thought about it. I'm like, you know, I, I could implement a feature like this. However... I'm really hurting people by this. I'm 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 hurting the medium because really it's it's in our best interests as listeners and as developers of podcast apps both that podcasts are free. You know, there are there are paid podcasts out there that require like a login and password to access. But they're they're definitely the extreme minority and it's it's very hard for them to build an audience. You know, it, it if you put something behind a paywall as we discussed earlier with the app it's extremely hard to build an audience. I, I saw this. Well, this was one of the challenges with the magazine, and one of the reasons why, over time, especially since Glenn took it over, there have been more holes in the paywall because there has to be. Because if the only way to hear something is to pay for it, uh, then you know how are you ever going to get new listeners? Because who's going to who's going to pay for it? Like uh, who has never heard of it before? You can get your existing fans to pay for it, maybe in, in some small number, but you know. So it is in the medium's best interest, I think, that most podcasts remain free and ad-supported. For that to happen, ads need to work, and ads need to be heard. And right now, podcasts enjoy a very healthy CPM on the ads because they're so much better than web ads. You know, web ads, everyone can completely ignore. They're annoying. They're they're abusive often. <laughs> web ads, you know, the reason why web ads are terrible is because they don't work very well, and so you have to be terrible with them to make significant money on, at scale. Uh, podcast ads are different. They they work better. They're more integrated with the show, uh, but not in a creepy way. Uh, you know, they're they're just you know they're read by the show host most of the time. Uh, it's more human. The advertisers have been better than what you get on, on most web ads because they work better. Because so then you can you can attract premium advertisers. Um, so for me to do anything that would really harm podcast ads. You know, yeah, I have a 30-second skip button. You can skip them if you want to, but I'm not going to, like, automate that process to allow people to skip in mass without even any effort put in. What if they weren't going to skip it? You know, like, what? Like some people don't skip it. I don't skip the ads because that's how I mean. Like, I don't run ad blockers because I think that would be hypocritical uh, in my web browser because I make money on web ads. Sure. Um, but, you know, I, I want these models to continue working because ultimately what I want is to still have a bunch of free podcasts coming in every week. And, you know, that's, and, and for my show, 
I want my ads to keep working because I enjoy having a large audience and, and I don't, I don't want, I don't want to lose that audience to our show uh, or to, you know, I don't, I don't, I don't want to lose 90% of them by putting up a paywall. I mean, heck, and that, that's generous. I'd probably lose more than that. Hmm. Um, so to, going back to the original conflict question, that's an area where being a podcaster has probably caused some kind of conflict of interest here in that I don't want to do something that will harm podcasters. However, I think overall that's probably a good thing in this case. And and in most cases like this, like I'm not gonna I'm not gonna do something with the app that's going to harm the medium. You know, I, I discussed a little a little on debug. One of the reasons I made the app at all is because I saw the rise of Stitcher. And Stitcher it kind of scares me in that Stitcher is a closed system. You it, you can't just give it an RSS feed and it plays it. Everything everything about Stitcher is closed, proprietary, and and locked locked in and locked down. Um, the podcasting medium so far has been open and accessible to any newcomer. It's just RSS feeds. It's just like blogging. It's RSS feeds. Anybody can publish on any site without having to go through any intermediaries. You could, you probably have to get listed in iTunes, but even that is becoming less relevant every day. Um, you know, it and and even that is pretty easy. <laughs> Almost anything yeah. can get listed in iTunes podcast directory. You just submit the page, so, right? It's, it's yeah, not, it's not uh, you know, you can't do you can't do like adult stuff in there, but I think you can do pretty much anything else, mm-hmm. and it's no big deal. So, the medium is is already you know very open, decentralized, and and diverse, and I th- I think it's extremely important to preserve those attributes. So when I saw the rise of Stitcher being Lockdown, private. You know, you have to work with them. You you have to agree to their terms to be to be played in their app, uh, and their terms are not very good. And this is one of the reasons why over, why uh, ATP is not in Stitcher, um, and and they they do things that we don't like, like they transcode your audio files down to low bit rates and reserve them, which both crushes your audio quality and hides stats from you, and that makes it hard to support your show. And then they put their own ads between your shows and. You, know, you and and they require you to promote Stitcher, which is why you hear so many people at the end of their podcast saying, "Find us on iTunes and Stitcher," because they have to by the agreement. So you're convincing me to remove my look at <laughs> Stitcher uh, thing that I have in Wonderlist. So that's deleted now. I, yeah, and, that, well, this, and also, you've just like, answered all the questions I had. <laughs> yeah, the terms of it are bad. Um, nobody, you know, they promised a rev share with people, but nobody makes real money with it. Like I've talked to people who have very big podcasts and they make almost nothing from Stitcher's ads. Um, and, you know, I, I've heard numbers of roughly, like, maybe 7% of people would use Stitcher. Like, 7% of your audience might use Stitcher. I bet among tech geeks who would be listening to tech shows, that percentage is probably much lower than that. Uh, so, e- even at 7%, I wouldn't think it was worth the what they ask. Anyway, so I, I don't think it's a very good deal for, for podcasters. Anyway, um, I saw the rise of that, and it's very popular. You know, to get seven percent of of a large podcast, that's a lot of users, and it's very heavily marketed. It's all over Facebook. They spam the crap out of you when you sign up. Again, I I think anyone who's ever signed up for Stitcher would probably be hesitant to put their email address in a podcast app again. <laughs> uh, but yep. regardless, um, the rise of that scared me. In that, what if Stitcher was bigger? You know what if you know look at it. Look at what Amazon does as a, as a, as the the main gatekeeper and supplier to so many markets. What if Stitcher was was big enough that you had to be on it? It's pretty close now. 
you know, if, if it was twice as big as it is now, it would be big enough that you'd probably need to be on it. And w- so what if you had to agree to those terms? What if they were the dominant player and that was where you got most of your audience from? What does that do to the, to the marketplace? Uh, what does that do to, you know, the, the freeness, the openness? What does that do to the economics and the control? Um, so I saw this market that was still open and free that could very plausibly and almost was getting closed down and locked down by a few small companies. And I wanted to preserve that. <laughs> and that's, that's one of the biggest reasons I made Overcast was because basically as a defensive move, and that is one of the biggest reasons why it's free. Uh, because I want Overcast to contribute to the diversity of podcast clients that exists out there in a big way. Because what I don't want to happen is for all the all like the quote good podcast apps to be five dollar apps paid up front and therefore have a very small portion of, of the user of the of the population out there using them, and to have the only two big apps be Apple and Stitcher. Because Apple's app, you know, Apple's been a good citizen to podcasts, a very good citizen to podcasts so far, but there's no guarantee that they always will be. And Stitcher already isn't, and again, there's no guarantee they won't get worse and bigger. So I wanted Overcast to be, to be mass market enough to be free and to be, to be big enough or to be able to be big enough that I could maintain the diversity in the ecosystem enough so that something like Stitcher could never get enough power. Because right now, it's great. Right now, the market is so diverse, nobody has enough power to dictate terms to anybody else. And I want to keep it that way. Thank you. Does that actually answer your question? I forgot what you even asked. No, it does. Because it, it's it's the idea of... You did answer it, and then we spoke about Stitcher as well. But the idea of where you sit in the uh, in the community. You know? Oh, yeah. This was all about the conflict of interest question. Wow. Yeah. Um, that was a long question. And kind of similar to that, what do you think now is your relationship to podcasters, people like me, and product, like podcast service providers? Are they your customers as well as your actual customers? Like, do you feel any responsibility for making sure that the shows show up correctly? Like, if I do something really weird with a feed, would you try and help me fix that because you want me to be in the app? Not me specifically, but, like, all podcast makers. Do you feel like they're a part of your customer base too now? Um, No, not necessarily, but but it, it, works, it works well enough, you know, with other incentives. Like... I've gotten so many emails from people saying, "How do we get promoted in your directory?" And all the like, all these like business people are reaching out to me. It's, it's, ugh. but, um, you know, to me, like, I want to, I want to make, I, I don't want to give podcasters a reason to need me to do anything for them. You know, like, you know, it's it's important for the app to work with everyone's feeds, not for the podcaster's sake, but for my customer's sake. Like, it's important that. That like I I've already coded in so many like workarounds and exceptions for for bad feeds for feeds that are not even valid markup that somehow get published and somehow iTunes figures out what what the heck to do with them. Um, oftentimes not even then. I've 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 already done so many things to try to accommodate bad feeds or people doing the wrong things because it, and not not for the podcaster's sake but for my customer's sake because if they don't care what the feed format is they. All they care about is they download this podcast app and they want to listen to these three shows in it. And one of them is, you know, like their their special interest group 
uh, for their hiking community that they have every week, and they have a messed up feed, and you know that's to them it's a problem in my app. You know, like they they don't blame the podcast, but they blame me. Uh, so it's important for me to to make the app good for my customers, and that's almost always also good for the podcasters. Uh, beyond that, I don't think ideally, you know, like people who write blogs don't have to go make a deal with Safari and Chrome to get to make sure their site is accessible in Safari and Chrome. Yeah. You know, like they just have to follow basic standards and it'll just work. That's how I want Overcast relationship with podcasters to be. I want it to be irrelevant uh you know what podcasters do or don't or don't do to work with me. I don't want I don't want them to need to work with me. This is how I differ from Stitcher. Like I don't I I want I want my podcast app to work like podcast apps should, which is basically like how RSS readers should. Uh, a lot of overlap there. <laughs> no no coincidence. And I want it to be totally irrelevant what podcast app what podcast app people use to listen to shows. Just the same way it's irrelevant what RSS reader they use and what browser they use. So my last question for you. Do you see for yourself... Uh, Future project, future projects, maybe products that live in podcasting. Do you see other avenues where you think you could do something interesting? I know that you once spoke of like a statistics system that you could maybe offer to podcasters. Do you see a future in that kind of thing? There's a lot of stuff there I would like to do. Um, I would like to do, yeah, a podcast uh, CMS. I would love to do that. Um, I would love to do tools for production of podcasts. I already have one that's in private beta, which you should be on, but I think you're afraid of the command line, so you don't use it. Please just give me a GUI and I'll use it. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and, uh, and you know, there's stuff, there, there are things I would like to do. I'm not sure I will ever have time to do them. I definitely want to do them, but I'm not sure I ever will be able to do them. But we'll see. You know, I, I don't know what the future holds. Overcast is a month old. And and so we will we will see if if the app gets to a point where it it kind of stabilizes and I don't really need to put a lot of effort into it to keep it going and and to keep it good, um, then I will consider things like that. But I, it's that's still a while off, and I'm not sure I'm not sure I'll ever reach that point. But there are definitely things I would love to do. Um, podcast CMS being up there certainly. But uh, we'll see. So Marco. Where can people find all the stuff that you're working on? Uh, just marco.org. And overcast.fm. Yeah. They need to go there. I want to thank you for being on episode one of Inquisitive. It's been an absolute pleasure. Um, Thanks. It's been an honor for me to be your first guest here. This is this is fantastic. I, I couldn't choose anyone else. Do you, do you find it... Like, you've now had to say three different uh, podcast network names in your intros and outros. Um, are you finding it difficult to 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 say the new name every time, or is it is it like you keep you keep writing five by five on your checks? The show names are harder. The, oh yeah, <laughs> saying Relay FM has has been easier than than I thought it would be, but getting used to the fact that this is inquisitive, not command space, and and I have connected and virtual, like that's the thing that I'm struggling with the most is getting those names correct, because um, I've had to say and think about those a lot less than Relay. Like that's just natural to me now but the show names are a bit harder but yeah we're getting there um and i should probably thank everybody for listening uh thank you all for finding the show as well i know that we originally said that um we would be 
transferring over the feeds, but we uh, established some technical issues that, that could arise in doing that, and, and we decided that it would be a lot better for Relay if we had fresh feeds that everyone could subscribe to. So I appreciate everybody that found the show, and I appreciate you subscribing. In the same vein, um, I would love some iTunes reviews. If you're willing to, to review the show in iTunes, please do that. And also, if you're listening in Overcast, you know, there's that button. This is the first and last time I will say it. If you want to press that star button to recommend the show, it will help people find the show um, in case they've maybe missed it. Um, thank you all for listening as well to the to the new to my new show on Relay FM. It's been a lot of work to get it here. I have big plans for this show that I hope that you'll enjoy in the future. Um, thank you very much um, to the sheriffs of Nottingham for our music and for uh, our artwork from our great friend at Forgotten Tao on Twitter. He's did an incredible job um, in with the new artwork and all the branding for Relay. So it's been an honor to have this show and to make it for you. And I hope that you'll be back listening next week to episode two of Inquisitive. I am iMike, I-M-Y-K-E on Twitter. Thank you so much for listening. This week's uh, show notes are at relay.fm slash inquisitive slash one. I'll be back next week. Thanks again to Marco. Thank you all for listening. Bye-bye. Thanks, Mike. Bye-bye.